And I invite you to open up your Bibles with me, teens and adults, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. As Elisa told us, every single one of our classes, including the teens and adults, have spent the week studying some of the greatest short stories ever told in human history. The parables of Jesus Christ. The kids that have gone back to their classes, they're studying their fifth and last parable right now. Jesus' parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. That is to say, Jesus told these stories to illustrate spiritual truth. They aren't just nice stories, fun to listen to, but stories with a punch. I call the parables short stories with a shove. Imagine being in the audience when Jesus told his parables. There you are, just listening to Jesus tell an engaging story and then all of a sudden, you realize this story is about you. Jesus was the greatest storyteller in history, but he didn't just entertain with his stories. He grabbed his listeners and turned them upside down with his stories. When was the last time you heard a great story that pushed you in a new direction? Well, in our verse for today, Matthew 13, 44, Jesus tells a very Short story. I mean a very short story. In the Greek original, it's just one sentence. In most of our English versions, it's just two sentences. It's a short story about hidden treasure. Hidden treasure. In fact, I believe it's the earliest known story about geocaching. Maybe not. But it is about hidden treasure. Let me read it to you. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Family Bible Week and all the fun we've had together. But thank you for this particular parable for us today. Lord, help us to understand it and what it means for us and our lives. Give us the shove that we need in the right direction from this short story. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this may be a very short story, but Jesus packs an awful lot in here. Let me read it to you again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The story is about the kingdom of heaven. Our adult class learned this week that the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, same thing, was Jesus' favorite topic to teach on. Whenever Jesus got a chance, Jesus was always teaching on the kingdom of God, the righteous rule of the rightful king over his redeemed people and his restored realm, the kingdom of God. If you were in our adult class this week, I have a quiz for you. Ready, guys? Just shout out the answer to these questions. Has the kingdom come already? Yes and no. Right. They're used to trick questions. The kingdom has come because the king has come. Jesus Himself. And yet the kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. This is not as good as it gets. 
But Jesus taught that the kingdom will come when the king returns. And we are supposed to be ready for it. Next question, class. Is the kingdom big or small? Both, right? It starts out small, like a a mustard seed, right? But one day it will cover the world. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How much water covers the sea? 100%, right? Yeah. Next question, class. Is the kingdom somber or joyful? That's an easier one, right? That's a joyful one. At least what the kingdom in its fullness will be. The kingdom is a party. It's joyful to the ultimate degree. We saw in the parables this week incredible joy when someone found the kingdom. When someone was found in the kingdom. The kingdom is a party. Of course, it's not all happy right now because we're still waiting for it to come in its fullness. While the king's away, there's some sadness. Question, who is welcome in the kingdom? Who are the citizens of the kingdom? Surprising answer. Sinners who repent. The citizens of the kingdom are those who have been rebels against the king, but have laid down their arms and accepted his gift of amnesty, his gift of forgiveness. Not people who think they are worthy of the kingdom, but those who know they are not. That's who's welcome. The kingdom is so surprising. No wonder Jesus loved to talk about it. This whole chapter, Matthew 13, the the context for our parable today is chock full of parables about the kingdom. Some of which we looked at this week in their parallels in the Gospel of Luke. Verse 34 says that Jesus spoke all these things about the kingdom to the crowd in parables. He's casting aside of one thing next to another. He did not say anything to them during that time without using a parable. Just like the Old Testament had predicted, verse 35, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. That's where we got our theme for Family Bible Week this year. Things hidden, now revealed. Jesus is unearthing spiritual truth after spiritual truth about the kingdom of God. And we get to listen in and learn. So let's look specifically at the story of the kingdom that Jesus tells in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like, there's a correspondence, between the kingdom and treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Do you get the story? Do you get the picture? It's pretty simple, isn't it? A treasure is hidden in a field. A man finds it in the field. That man, like a good geocacher, hides it again in the field. The man sells his stuff and buys the field. End of story. Now, isn't that an incredible short story? There's so much in there. It's got buried treasure in it. It's like a Robert Louis Stevenson story. It's got a, a very surprised and a very happy man. <laughs> Just imagine how he felt when he saw what he had unearthed. And then it's got a twist at the end. What more could you want? What does it mean? What is Jesus teaching? So let's ask our adult class, 
What is the first thing we should look for to interpret this parable? We need to ask, what is what? Correspondence. What is what, right? What things in the story correspond to what things outside the story in real life? That's how you interpret a parable. A parable is a casting, a, a casting alongside a story alongside real life. So what things are what? And it's easy, we learn in our class, it's easy to, to, to try to get too many details to match up. It's not how these stories work. Sometimes there's just one point of correspondence. Other times there's many. And that's what we worked on all week. So what is what in this story? It's so short. What is what? Well, we know that the kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. You know how we know that? Verse 44 tells us that, right? Now, sometimes that opening sentence can be misleading. Like in the next verse, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. That doesn't mean that the pearl-seeking merchant himself is the kingdom of heaven. The phrase is basically saying the reality of the kingdom is like this story I'm now about to tell you. But in the case of verse 44, I think it's actually a very direct correspondence. The kingdom itself is like the treasure. Hidden, yes, and valuable. So incredibly valuable. The hiddenness of the kingdom is present throughout this chapter, Matthew 13. Our adult class learned a lot about context this week. And the hidden nature of the kingdom is a theme throughout the context of this chapter. It can be easily missed. But then the emphasis here in verse 44 is not just on the hiddenness, but on how valuable that hidden treasure really is. More on that in a second. How about the field? What do you think the field is in this story? Earlier in this chapter, there's another field in another parable. And when Jesus uh, explains that parable, he says, verse 38, the field is the world. So do do you think that the field here in verse 44 is the world? Class? No. We learned this week in our class that the correspondences in one parable do not automatically move over. They don't port to another parable. No, I think the field in this story is just a field in this story. So what about the man? Who is the man in the story in real life. What is his external referent? I'm not sure that he really has one. In a story so short, I don't know that this man has to have a corresponding reality. Now some people have thought that the man is Jesus Christ himself, and that is a remote possibility. In that case, the parable is teaching that the, the truth that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus gave His all, His precious blood, to purchase the kingdom and give it to us. And that is certainly a truth. He sure did. But I don't think that's what this parable is talking about. I think that's looking for too much correspondence. I think the point of the parable is simply that the kingdom is supremely valuable. The kingdom of God is worth everything. Absolutely everything. Because that's the, that's the kicker, isn't it? We learned on Thursday night about kickers in the parables, that, that ending that Jesus comes along with and surprises everybody. 
I mean, there's not much to this story. It's just one sentence in Greek, but it still has a twist at the end. It has a surprise ending that would make modern-day moviegoers go, oh, I never saw that coming. Look at verse 44 again. When a man found the treasure, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. All he had? That's a twist, isn't it? Didn't see that coming. What all do you have? Do you own a car? Maybe two? A house? Maybe between you and the bank? Do you own some land? Do you have something today in your wallet? Do you have something in a storage container? Do you have something in your closet? Do you have one of those you uh, store it where you have a lock and you have a code to, to get into it because you, you don't have enough space for all your stuff at home. So imagine liquidating all of that. You go to the bank and you withdraw all of your money. You go up to the teller. It's Becky Hubler. You say, I would like to close my account, please. Give it all to me. One big cashier's check. And you go to your realtor and you say, I want to sell my house and my land. And you put your, all your stuff up on eBay. And as all the money comes in, you get it all into one great big check. And then you go to the realtor and you say, I want to buy that field. You slide all the chips you have across the table for that one field. Because it, because it has in it that one treasure that's worth it all. Do you see his joy there? This guy is so overjoyed to get this treasure for himself. He has hit the jackpot. He has won the lottery without playing it. Now in the next verse, in the next story, there is another man. This guy was actually searching, but he he finds something similar. I think that's why Jesus puts these two parables together. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This guy's got boxes of jewels. He's he's always been on the hunt for the best jewel, and he has now found it, and he sells all the rest to get it. Same lesson. The kingdom of heaven is worth absolutely everything. It's worth jumping at the chance to get no matter what it costs. Now, I think we could also go wrong in thinking that we can somehow buy the kingdom, right? Our our class all week asked, where could we go wrong here with the parable? We can go too far. We can get a wrong idea. We can make too many points of correspondence. Sometimes the key is just knowing when to stop interpreting and just start applying. So can we somehow buy the kingdom if we give enough money? If we just give away all of our money, we can, we can buy the kingdom. I don't think we're the man in the story either. I don't think Jesus is the man. I don't think the disciples are the man. I don't think we are the man. This parable is not teaching us how to find the kingdom, how to gain the kingdom. It's teaching us that the kingdom is supremely valuable. The kingdom is worth everything. Absolutely everything. 
One other way we can go wrong is getting stuck on the ethics of the man in the story. Did, 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 did you feel that question as we read it? I mean, was this, was this fair game for him to, to do that? I understand he didn't lift the treasure. He didn't come across the treasure and just stick it in his pocket and go whistling home. He just put it back where he found it. So it was fair game for anybody else to find, including the owner of the property, the rightful owner at the time. Then he went and he bought the whole field so that it was unquestionably his. What he did was probably legal. But I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. So what do you think, class? I think it's not the point. Jesus isn't teaching ethics here. He does that elsewhere. The other night, our adult class studied the parable of the shrewd or the dishonest manager. And he was commended, but he wasn't commended for being dishonest, just for looking ahead and exhibiting shrewdness. And that we, the people of the light, could learn from that. Jesus is not necessarily commending this course of action. He's just showing how much this treasure was worth to this man. The kingdom is worth whatever it takes. Can I say that again? The kingdom is worth whatever it takes. The merchant, he had found the be-all and end-all of pearls. And he was willing to part with every other thing he had of value to gain that pearl. And that's it. That's all this story is teaching. But that's plenty. The kingdom of heaven is supremely valuable. It's worth risking everything and anything to possess. So what's the shove? When you've heard this parable and you've pondered it in your mind, how is Jesus, where was Jesus pushing us? What direction does he want us to go? Let me ask it this way. Is the kingdom this valuable to you and me? You know what makes the kingdom so valuable? It's the king, of course. It's the kingdom of Christ. So here's the shove. Is the king and his kingdom this valuable to you and to me? Worth everything. No, we don't buy it. We we never could. That's what we've been learning in the book of Galatians, right? We could never earn our way. By works of the law, no one will be saved, be justified. We get into the kingdom by grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Paul got that. He said in Philippians 3, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul gave up everything he had to gain Christ. Because everything he had was nothing. Christ Jesus is the only thing worth Everything. Is the king and his kingdom worth everything 
to you? Let me ask it this way. Here's a diagnostic question. If the king and his kingdom was this valuable to you, what would change? What would change in your priorities? What would change in how you spend your time? What would change in what you think about? What would change in how you spend your money? What would change in how you entertain yourself? What would change in how you worship? What would change in your work? What would change in your relationships? If the kingdom is worth everything to you and me, what needs to change to reflect that? Or what in your life says, eh, it's worth this much, but I wouldn't value it at that? Where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What needs to change in your life to reflect the fact that you have found the be-all and end-all, the pearl of greatest prize? The treasure that relativizes all other treasures. The one where you would say, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Is there a sin that needs confessed and repented of? Is there a relationship that you need to change your part of? Is there some forgiveness, some grace that needs to be granted? Is there a shifting of your time or money or some other thing you need to move? If Jesus and His kingdom is worth everything, absolutely everything, then what needs to change in your life and mine? I believe that's the question that Jesus' story is pushing us to answer in each of our lives today. Can I ask you to do something as we close? Would you, on the back of your bulletin or maybe on your phone, would you write down what you think needs to change? And would you pray to God that what that, that, that you will make strides by faith, not in your own strength, but by the, the strength the Spirit provides, to change in that area this week. I think it would be very sad if we all said, nah, I'm good. I've heard this story before, it's interesting, but I'm not really listening. I'm not changing my life already reflects the appropriate amount of value that I give to the kingdom. That would be so sad. But he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And let him respond accordingly. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today.